Good morning, beloved, and welcome to Accra Community Church. My name is Nana Kufiakwa, and I'm honored and privileged to bring you God's Word today. Today's sermon is entitled, Our Father, the Source of All Grace. Have you ever met any of those Christians, any of those people who say, uh, I love Jesus, but I don't like God. I don't like the God of the Old Testament. You know, he, he seemed very vengeful, very angry, very... Bitter, very mean, killing people, ordering that many people be killed. I don't like that God. But I like Jesus. I like Jesus because he preached grace. Have you ever bumped into any of those people? Well, this morning I'm here to introduce us, to some of you reintroduce us, to God the Father, the first member of the Trinity. As you all know, we believe in one God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, a few weeks ago, we talked. We were introduced to the Holy Spirit, uh, and the week before, we were introduced to the Word or the Son, the second member of the Trinity. And today, I want to introduce you to the the first, the very first member. So we went about it backwards. The first member of the Trinity, the Father. In Genesis chapter three, verse twenty-one, we read, "And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife." What is interesting about this scripture is that this incident happens just after Adam and Eve have sinned, just after they had betrayed the one who had given them the gift of a planet over an apple, just after they had believed the devil over him, just after they had broken his heart and he walked in the garden to meet them and they were hiding. And yet in his heartbreak, we see God giving to the very people who had betrayed him. We see God extending his grace. We see God being gracious to the people who didn't deserve it. Now, this may have happened in Genesis chapter 3, but actually all through the Old Testament into the New Testament, we see God initiate grace. Listen, the idea of Jesus dying for us, which is symbolically captured in the story of God sacrificing animals, so shedding blood so he can give their skin as clothing, as covering for Adam and Eve, is a story that is very symbolic of Christ dying for us. Right there in the garden, he prophesied and said, the son of the woman shall crush the head of the serpent, and the serpent shall bite his heel. Right in Genesis, God thought out a salvation plan for all mankind. And throughout the Old Testament, we see several acts of grace. The idea of Jesus dying for our sins was God's idea. In John chapter 3, verse 16, we read, and we all know it, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him won't perish, but have everlasting life. God is the initiator of grace. And we, his children, are supposed to be extensions of his grace. You need to ask yourself the question of, when somebody gives their life to Jesus, why don't, die, why don't they die right that moment and go to heaven? You know, considering the promises of heaven, how beautiful it is supposed to be and all that, why do we not just die and go to heaven straight away? Why do we linger on here on earth year after year, many years on after we have given our lives to Jesus? I mean, this is for the most of us. And I believe it is because God wants us 
to be the extensions of his grace, the ambassadors of his kingdom, the people who represent who he is and how he feels about humanity right here on earth. So when James writes in James chapter 1, verse 27, he says that pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. This is interesting. You know, we're in a time when there's a lot of denominationalism. Our church, Accra Community Church, is labeled as non-denominational or interdenominational. Sometimes it's even a little argument among us. Which one is which and what does it mean? But we read here in James chapter 1 verse 27 that pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. So it's two things. This is pure and genuine religion. If you care for orphans and widows, orphans and widows being the vulnerable in society, those without support, those the government has disappointed, those the systems have failed, those who don't know where their next meal is coming from, the vulnerable, and you yourself making sure that you are not corrupted by the world, that you don't become like the world. This is pure religion. If I were to ask you the question of where is Jesus today, what would you say? We meet together as a church on Sunday, or we all go to church on Sundays, hoping, believing that we'll encounter Jesus, that we'll experience Jesus. And yet the Bible tells us clearly where to find Jesus. In fact, Jesus himself tells us where to find him. If we want to see Jesus in the flesh, it is possible in this day and age to actually bump into Jesus in the flesh. Exactly where is he? Well, according to Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 to 46, Jesus is around in the flesh, but in places where you may not be expecting. And he expects us to show up in these places and be the extensions of his grace. Amen. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 to 46 is the story of the final judgment, and it reads, But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. Have you seen where Jesus is? This is where Jesus is. He says, For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it for me. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry, and you did not feed me. I was thirsty, and you didn't give me to drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked, and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't visit me. 
Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth. When you refused to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. Amen. So where is Jesus? Have you met Jesus? According to Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the naked, the sick, the prisoner, the socially disenfranchised, the forgotten. You know, we grew up in church taught that, being taught that we are Jesus and we go out into the world to be Jesus to the sick, to the blind, to the thirsty, to the stranger, to the naked, to the prisoner. So we go and we are Jesus to them. But this is not what the Bible says. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is telling us that he, Jesus, is the hungry. He is the prisoner. It doesn't care what the crimes of the prisoner are. It doesn't matter how many people he's killed, how many people he's raped or abused. In that state of vulnerability, Jesus sees himself, the one who came, the, the serpent, the Nehushtan, the serpent that was hanged on the cross. He carried all of our sins. So the Holy Lamb of God, at the moment where he carried all of, all, all of our sins, became the snake, the, the serpent, hanging there. Jesus carried all of our iniquities, all of our infirmities, all of our diseases and all of our wickedness in his body on the cross so that we, being dead to sin, may live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. Hallelujah. So Jesus is a prisoner. He is the adulterer. He is the criminal. He is the forsaken. He is the social outcast. He is the outlaw. He is the hungry. And he says that when we, the extensions of his grace, went out into the world and took care of these people, we were taking care of he, Jesus. Some time ago on TV, I watched a Nigerian preacher woman preach and she talked about the concept of giving apples. She talked about how she used to give to the poor and the vulnerable in society and in her church. And she only just attracted those people. But she was watching her husband, who was giving to the bishops and the men of God. And she saw her husband being elevated. And her husband told her, where you sow your seed is where you reap. And so, watching herself, she decided that she was also going to give up us. Listen, that is erroneous doctrine. If you ever really want to give to Jesus, you give to the poor, to the needy, to the vulnerable, to the widow, to the orphan. That is Jesus in society today. So here in Accra Community Church, we have decided that we would implement a system that is already practiced by Pastor Robert Gelinas' church in Colorado, the Colorado Community Church. They call it 5 plus 5. And basically, it's a concept where you bring, instead of bringing all the 10%, which is the tithe, into the storehouse, into the church, we want a system where you bring only 50% of the tithe to Accra Community Church. And then the other 50 goes into community, it goes into social good, it goes into helping the widows, the orphans, the underprivileged. But the Bible also gives us guidelines on how to give. You know, so we want to make sure that 
the 50% is not wasted. So first, we'll encourage you to prayerfully consider where you send that 50%. We're also willing to gather you guys, into, we form into, into groups based on interest, so we can have a group of people who are interested in education, who are interested in the foster care system, who are interested in maybe more nutrition in vulnerable children, who are interested in helping young girls overcome rape and uh, molestation. You know, whatever your area of interest, you can come together as groups and together bring your 50% and move it towards a worthy cause. So this is another thing we are praying about and considering. And we want to start implementing this system from next month. And within the weeks leading to that, as a, as a, as a church leadership, we'll sit down and, and plan. And please send us your suggestions. If you know organizations or individuals doing communal good who may benefit from the support, give us their name so we can have a compilation and we can all sit together and prayerfully consider where your 50% should go. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 6, the Bible tells us that we should not cast our pearls before swines. You know, uh, This money is, is, is a pearl to us. And we want to make sure that it is not wasted. It's God's money. It's money dedicated to God. And we want to make sure that it is properly used and properly utilized for the purposes of social good. So we want you to pray with us. You know, One of the significant things, and this is very important to consider, when you think of doing social good, that one of the strategies Jesus used in problem solving is that he would always go to the roots of the problem. In Mark chapter 11, verse 12 to 25, we read the story of Jesus cursing a fig tree. At that moment, nothing seemed to have happened to the fig tree. The following morning, he was passing with his disciples, and then they noticed that the fig tree had withered from the roots. And that's what Jesus does. He would always go to the roots. In John chapter 4, verse 16, he tells the woman he met by the well, the Samaritan woman, he tells her, go bring your husband. <laughs> it was very personal, but it was very deep. Why? Because he tells her, you've had five husbands, and the man you're you are staying with now is not your husband. Basically, Jesus was telling her, darling, you've been looking for something, but you've been looking for it in the wrong places. He went straight to the root of her matter. In, commi in committing our 50%, the 50% of our tithe to social good, we want to make sure that we don't address the leaves. Sometimes we quickly hand over money to people who come in need. But that is not the real need. Sometimes they need more help than that. You know, maybe, maybe they need counseling. Maybe they need education. They need training. You know? And we want to commit our 50% to going to the roots of problems addressing them from the root. That requires commitment. That requires community engagement. That requires a lot more than just writing a check. And we are happy to commit to that. We want you to pray with us that as we introduce this system, it will be one that will become a, a powerful tool for helping lift the community of Accra and wherever we find ourselves out of poverty. Because it is in reaching out to the needy the orphans, the widows, the naked, the hungry, the thirsty, the poor, the prisoner, the sick. It is in reaching out to these people that we fully become extensions of God's grace. God our Father is the initiator of grace. The Bible says, by grace are we saved through faith in Christ Jesus. It is not of works, lest any man should boast. Today we are beneficiaries of grace because of God's kindness, and we need to become the extensions of his grace. 
Let us pray. 